Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. On the Rocker Bee Ranch, whenever we, we lived in, in two different camps, not not at the same time. We started at that camp, which was kind of right in the middle of the ranch, and, and then we moved to the furthest camp away from headquarters, and it was a camp called Hoodoo, H-O-O-D-O-O, Hoodoo Camp, and um, there there hadn't been anybody in the camp for a while except except one, and it really wasn't a person. It was a big white goose that lived at Hoodoo. And, and I'm not talking about these pretty Canadian geese that are in your parks and everything. This is a velocigoose, a velociraptor, and he was mean. And, I mean, this goose, you, you would, it was his place. He made sure that you understood that it was his place. And, I mean, you would walk in there and he'd come out, rawr, 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 you know, bowing their neck and acting like a rattlesnake, like they're trying to strike you and everything. I mean, you would have to learn goose kung fu to keep him off of you. You were like, hey, hey. And, and you know, you can kick those things in the head when they're trying to bite you, but they're on that long neck, so it just kind of, it's like kicking a spring or something. It don't do no good and everything. And, and they can, they can raise up like a, like a kung fu, you know, like, and then peck you right in the head. I know, because he did it to me. I hated that goose. Hated that goose by, I mean, he acted like everything was his. I mean, anytime he was around doing something, if you even got close to him, he was like, rawr, 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 and you're like, ah. And so I, I, me and the goose didn't get, the goose didn't get along with anybody. And, um, I mean, he thought he was running everything. He was, and, and it was hard to get friends out. I mean, cause the friends would come out and they'd be like, you know, hey, they pull up. Here comes the goose. And then everybody's running and I'm trying to fend off the goose. It was, it was kind of a horrible situation and everything. But what, you know, we, we had to get up at like when it was like shipping or branding season or whatever, especially if we had to go to the other side of the ranch. Um, we, we had to get up like at 3.30 in the morning to be over there and horseback and cross pasture by daylight and all that stuff. And I'll never forget one morning. Um, I, I got up and our, our morning routine was something along the lines of my dad. I don't know. I, I take after him in a lot of ways. I mean, we look a lot alike. Uh, we, we act a lot alike and have the same mannerisms, same way of talking and everything. But one thing that my dad has that I don't have is that man can roll out of bed into 14 eggs, nine pieces of toast, and two and a half pounds of bacon before his left eye opens. I am not like that. I gotta be up for like two, three hours before something hits my belly. I'm just, I'm just not a breakfast eater. So anyway, since I really wasn't a big breakfast eater, our morning routine was he would come in there and, um, he, he liked to shoot me with water guns or, or he would freeze marbles. And, and, and this is a good idea if you want to see somebody get out of bed. Cause you know, the bed kind of goes like this when you're sleeping in it. He'd freeze my, and I wasn't hard to get up. He just thought it was funny. He'd go freeze marbles and then he'd throw them in the bed and, and then run out and you, you can't get away from those marbles without getting out of bed. And so anyway, then I'd come in throwing marbles at him and that's what we did. And so while he cooked breakfast for him, I went out and fed. So I, I went out and fed and everything and I, I said, who are you going to ride today? And he said, Sykes. I was like, no. He's like, yeah. Well, yeah, Sykes was a, was a, a big bay horse. 
and he he was he was one of the best horses that we had in our string. Except Sykes didn't turn left, and you couldn't bridle him. Uh, besides that, he was great. I mean, he really was. He was great. But I mean, he had been eared down as a colt, and so anytime you got near his ears, it was just oh my gosh, it was a it was a train wreck. And so anyway. It, I go out there to feed, and, and so I feed and everything, and then I come back in, and Dad's got breakfast ready. He scarfs his down, and I'm just like, you know, trying to be nice and everything. And so I move all my eggs around on the plate, make it look like I did something with it. And, gosh, Dad, this is good, you know. And here, dog. Give it to the dog and everything. And so he would, he would make the lunches and clean up, and I would go saddle. I would go get the horses ready, pull the truck around. And so basically, we, we had it timed down to a science. I mean, I could pull up with the horses saddled and, and in the trailer and everything. About the time he got through it, he'd come out with a lunchbox and for him, a lunchbox for me. I had Captain America lunchbox because that's cool. Okay, what y'all say? And uh, anyway, he'd come out with the lunchboxes. He made his sandwiches and everything like that. And so anyway, he'd come out. Well, that morning, I go out to feed and I know it's going to be a wreck because i got to try to bridle Sykes. And so you, you don't, you take the bridle apart and you like try to get it in his mouth first and then hope it stays there, you know, hanging on his teeth. And then you try to buckle it and kind of slide it up and get out of the way and everything. And I mean, it was just a wreck. And I mean, I'm trying this and I'm trying to be calm, but it's, it's 3.30 in the morning. You, it's not fair. It's not nice, you know, to have to fight this horse every morning. And I'm not blaming him. I understand why he does what he does, but I mean, it was just a hassle. And anyway, I had just about got, I got the bit in his mouth and I had just about got the, the hole done where I could slide it up and then get out of the way. And this ninja goose, Snuck up on us. I guess I had disturbed his roosting, or whatever you call it, and I was just about to get sack bridled, and I had done it rather quickly, I might add, and everything, and right behind us we heard, HONK! Well, Sykes threw his head like that, and it hit me. I mean, that bit hit me right in the face. Just BAM! And then, of course, the I didn't have it buckled yet. The bit falls down. Sykes is mad. The goose is squawking at me, and I'm trying to kick it and everything. Anyway, I just go back inside. I walk in. Dad, he knows how long it takes, right? We got this down to a science, and I'm not supposed to be in right now. Anyway, I walk in there. He goes, what are you doing? I don't even answer him. I go, take the 30-30. And Dad says, Dad's, he's washing dishes, right? And he's like, where are you going with that gun? I said, I'm going to shoot something. He said, would that something be alive? I said, temporarily. He said, what are you going to shoot? And I said, well, I'm going to shoot that goose. He goes, you can't shoot that goose. I said, I'm going to shoot that goose. And so, anyway, he finally talked me off the cliff because I was going to shoot that goose. I, I was going to kill that goose. Anyway, he took the gun from me, and, and, and I'm sure it was more along the lines of, you know how that guy gets he, he gets in a fight, and he bows up knowing his buddies will pull him back, and he's talking really big. That's, that's kind of the way I was. I probably wasn't going to shoot the goose. But I wanted to shoot the goose because my nose was bleeding, my lip was busted. It looked like I'd been... Had a big old bee, my, like a bee had stung me on my lips. I was all big and fat. And I'm going to kill that goose. You know, that goose was my mortal enemy. I hated that thing. It didn't matter. He thought he run the place. I, his, his home was in the barn. 
And I mean, you couldn't go in the barn without a fist fight and, and all this stuff. And I mean, he just, it doesn't matter if he was sleeping and, and he would, he would be feces-seeing on, on everything. That's, y'all, y'all got that, right? That's a new word, feces-seeing. He'd be feces-seeing. And goose feces-seeing is not pretty. And it's not like this cute little stuff either. I mean, it's like taking a bowl of jello and throwing it somewhere. It's gross. But have you ever had a mortal enemy? Because that goose was my mortal enemy. Have you ever had somebody that just gets under your skin all the time? I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, these people just irritate the snot out of you. They do mean things. They may try to do this. They may try to do that. You ever had an enemy? Well, in the Bible, it talks a lot about what happens whenever you have an enemy. Now, I'm not talking about just a little disagreement. I'm not talking about, well, you know, I don't like it whenever, you know, somebody does this. I'm talking about there's seriously something wrong. There's a biblical principle called reconciliation. And, 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 and that's a big church word. And, and, and you know what? I really tried to go and find another word that that meant the same thing, that I might be able to tell y'all, look, all it is is this. And I really couldn't find one because it's more than just making up. Okay, It's when two people are mortal enemies and then something happens and now they're friends. Okay, It's mutual. It's not just one forgiving the other. It's not just one-sided and the other decides to let it go. I mean, they actually come together and are tighter than they ever were before. That's what reconciliation is, okay? Now, there's a, there's a biblical principle of reconciliation is that the offending party, the one that makes the mistake, the one that's the jerkhead, okay? The, the one that is just doing all of the stuff wrong, it's his responsibility to start the process, Okay, and and, th- and think about this. Um, if, if somebody does something, or let me rephrase that: if I do something that's horrible to somebody, then in biblical times, it's my responsibility. It's the offender's responsibility to go and start the reconciliation process. Okay, it, it's it's the one that made the mistake is the one that's supposed to go and make things right. Now, how do you make things right in, in, in the biblical sense is that there was three things that you had to do. If you were the one that messed up and you was going to go to somebody and and uh, try to make it right to to be to get reconciliation deemed, I don't know how you say that, and um, uh, together again, then you would have to confess your sin, number one. You would have to go to that person and say, look, man, it's what I did. And I know it's wrong. The second thing that you would have to do is you would have to make reparations. And you might think about this as as a payment. You know, if you if you go to court and you get you get convicted, you might have to pay a fine to the offended party. Okay, you have to make reparations. You have to pay for what you did in some form or fashion. Now, you, you know, you, you think, well, wh- where does that happen? Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, was a tax collector and everything, and, and he was a crooked dude and everything like that. Well, he come to know the Lord, and he, he confessed his sin to Jesus. He said, man, I know I've been messing up, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back, and everybody that I stole from, I'm going to give them like ten, ten times over what I stole from them, what, what I shouldn't have done. That was his way of making reparations, because that's the way it was back there in the 
biblical times. You had to confess your sins. You had to make reparations. And the third thing that you had to do was to ask forgiveness. Now, just because you confess your sin doesn't mean that you ask forgiveness. This was a three-step process. You, you might think that, uh, you know, even Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, man, if you go and you put your... Your offering on the altar, if you go to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, that's saying that you did something wrong. He said, leave it right there. Go and be reconciled to your brother. And then once y'all are back together, then you go over there and everything will be okay. And, and there's an implication in there that God's not going to listen to you if you've got this, that you've got an enemy somewhere, especially if you're the one that messed up. Okay, so there's a there's a biblical basis for this. E even in the event, and y'all will always hear me talk about this, Matthew 18, 15 through 19 says, if somebody offends you, that doesn't mean that you just sit over there and let them guess at what they did. Because sometimes people really do some bad things to us and they just don't realize that they've done it. Even then, if you go, it says, Matthew 18, 15 through 19 says, if your brother offends you, go to that brother, tell him what he did wrong, and if he confesses his sin and repents, then you have won your brother back. But still, it's the offended party that has to that has to be the reconciled that comes back and says, hey man, I messed up. Now Jesus goes on to say, he said, man, if if this happens and, and your brother asks forgiveness, you got to forgive him. Okay, uh, that's what he said. So there there is a two part to play in this, but there's a biblical uh, precedent of reconciliation to where the one that messed up has to go and make things right by confessing, by making reparations, paying somebody back, and asking forgiveness. I always wondered, I think that goose should have reconciled himself to me. Of everything that he did. Now, I don't know that, that a goose can actually come and confess its sin. You know, and, and probably even if we could communicate with a goose, he would probably be like, I'm just being a goose. You know what I mean? He wouldn't even understand of what he did. And here's the second thing. Uh, how is a goose going to make reparations? How, there is nothing that that goose has that I want. I mean, he can't, he can't lay an egg because it was a dude goose. Okay? I mean, dude gooses can't lay eggs. I mean, he can't even bring me an omelet, you know, ingredient or anything. There is nothing that this goose had that I wanted. There is nothing that he could give me that I could say, huh, I'm better off now. A goose didn't have any money because I, I mean, what, what, what's goose money? You know, it, it just doesn't work. And, and beyond that, what is that goose? Is it really going to ask for forgiveness of the sins that he didn't even realize that he needed to confess? He'd be like, you know, well, you need to ask my forgiveness, you know. Well, he didn't even confess one to begin with. And number two, he has nothing that I want. He has nothing that I need. You know, I think it's really obvious now that in life, we're the geese. We're the goose. There are things that we have done, uh, you know, don't we act like we've all earned all of these things that we have? I mean, I mean, think about that. And what I'm really talking about is, is that we are enemies of God. Our sinful nature is an enemy against God. God is completely holy, and we are completely sorry. 
And, and I don't mean as, as in being feeling sad for something. I'm saying that, that you know, we're, we're a sinful people. And there, and there is, you know, sometimes people may say, well, I'm not an enemy of God. It, the Bible says that in our sinful nature, we are enemies of God. And you might be thinking, well, you know, I mean, come on. I, I, I've never, I, I don't consider myself an enemy of God. But, I mean, think about this. Don't we act like we've earned all of these things that we have? Yeah, I mean, I've worked really hard on all this stuff to get what I have and everything. And, but I thought that God gave us everything. But anytime we start taking credit for what God did, I mean, that's a sin. We can't even, it's a sin not to recognize that that stuff is coming from Him in the first place. We have no room to boast about anything because if you are a believer, you have said that Jesus Christ has paved the way to God and God is your supplier. He is your redeemer. He is giving you everything that you have. I mean, aren't we, you know, do we really treat other people like we need to treat them? No. And, and you know what's funny about this biblical deal uh, that we talked about, the principle of reconciliation, is, is it's always in regards to your brother, meaning another believer. But how often as Christians do we squabble? All the time. And I'm sure God is, uh, he doesn't like that. I mean, we're, we're literally, we learned last week that we are sons and daughters of God. We are co-heirs with Christ that what God wants for us is to be His son, to be His kid. So if I'm His kid and Ty is His kid, then that makes us brothers. That's why the Bible says that if you go to make an offering at the altar and you realize that your brother is angry with you, then go and get things fixed with him. Or in Matthew 18, 15 through 19, if your brother offends you, then go and talk to that brother about that. We are brothers, but yet we squabble all the time. And you know what most of our squabbles is over? About the same as a goose squabble. It's just all the time. And I'm sure God is just like, oh, good grief. Seriously? I mean, the eternal life is at stake. I am trying to offer you everything. I'm trying to take care of you. And all of this stuff happens, and yet all we can do is squabble with each other because we think that our way is better than their way. We're in a, I mean, there, there's a point in time that we are enemies of God. And the last thing is, I mean, if you think, well, I'm not an enemy of God, how much did we try to control how much do we try to affect the outcome of everything that we do? But, but we, have, we don't have that power. We don't have that power to say, you know what, I'm going to do this, so this is going to happen. Now, th- there may be some things that we do have control over. I mean, I'm pretty sure if I jumped off this stage headfirst, I would probably bonk my noggin. I may be in control of that, but that's just dumb. We, we don't. It, Jesus says, "Don't worry about tomorrow, because today has enough words. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow." See, we're enemies of God. But here's the cool part. Here's here's the and and I, I can see the look on your faces. A lot of people are like, "Oh, this is one of them sermons and everything like that." No, no, I got some good news. Because isn't that what Jesus said? He said, "I have come to proclaim the good news." See, in Romans 5:10. God twists things around. 
the biblical precedence, the way that the Israelites and the Jewish people had been doing things all along is that if somebody messed up, it was their responsibility to go and confess their sins, to pay them off, and to ask forgiveness. But God twists things around, and he does that for us. Now, in, in today's day and age, we're sitting there like, yeah, what, what, what's the big deal? In, in, in Christ's time, when this was being preached, when Paul was preaching this, I guarantee you when he said, God wants to reconcile you to himself. In other words, God is taking the place of the offending party, like he did something wrong. And he is coming to us saying, look, I mean, obviously he has no sin to confess, but he is doing everything for us because we can't do anything. We, I mean, what do we have really to offer God that is going to make him better? Nothing. He is completely and utterly holy within himself. You can't make God happier. You can't make God better. You cannot make God something more than he already is. There is nothing that you have that God needs. Not one single thing. You have absolutely nothing that God requires. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And yet what he did is... In Romans 5.10, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Man, that is some good news, people, because you know, we, we couldn't get to God. We, we had nothing to offer him. Sure, we could confess our sins, but we couldn't make reparations. We couldn't close that gap. And most of the time when we confess our sins, most of the sins we confess is basically a drop in the ocean of what we've done. I mean, we can never confess all of our sins. And, and we can ask for forgiveness, but how often do we have to do that? I mean, all the time, oh, forgive us of these sins that I've already committed. What about the ones that you're going to commit? I mean, there's, there's just this bit. We have nothing. We're utterly powerless. Before we even confessed our sins, he made reparations on our behalf and forgave all our sins. Let me try to put this in another way, okay? We burned the bridge. See, in, in the Garden of Eden... There was, there was a man and a woman, and there was God, and God came and walked among them and talked among them, and they went over here and they talked to God. And, I mean, it was a two-way street. I mean, they walked and talked, and everything was perfect. And then when sin entered the world, we lit a match to that bridge, and the bridge burned. And there's never been a way back across that chasm. Now, we have nothing to build the bridge over there. So what God did is he sent his son to build that bridge back across. When we were the ones that messed up. Now, granted, like I said, I, I can see the look on all of your faces. You're like, oh, okay, we know this, big deal. But in, but in Jesus' day, when Paul was preaching this, if you would have said, God has reconciled himself to you, people would have gone, because oh, it was unheard of. It went against everything that they had been taught that they were supposed to go and live holy lives and that they had to make the sacrifice in order to make themselves right. In other words, they had to build the bridge across, but no matter how far they got, the bridge always fell down. So what God did is He sent His Son while we were still sinners to die on the cross for us. He built the bridge back across, and here's the, here's the end of it right here. What is your job? 
What is your job in all of this? I mean, that, that's a million-dollar question. A- am I saying this just so that you'll have some knowledge? Oh, well, you know, they said in biblical times that, you know, whoever did the wrong had to go and make it right. You know? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. How is this going to change your life? See, what most of us do is we see that bridge across there, and we thank God for that bridge, and then we start studying that bridge, and we're like, hey, man, look at how this is put together right here, and we're like, yeah, yeah. And so what we start doing is we start building our own bridge based upon the model of this one. We're like, man, this is a perfect bridge. We can do it just like this, and we start putting it back together to get across. No, no, that's not what God did. What God wants you to do, your part in all of this, last week, this whole sermon series is called Something for Nothing. Something for Nothing. In other words, it's the story of grace. And you know what? Anytime you try to pay back grace, you've just thrown it away. Anytime you try to earn grace, you have thrown it away. See, God came and gave you a free gift. He built that bridge back across so that you and Him could be one, so that you could be called a son of God. So it could, the, where sin had separated man from God, God sent His Son who lived a perfect life that died on the cross so that that, that gap could be bridged so that God and man could come back together once again and that He could be our God and we, well, yeah, He could be our God and we could be called His sons. Everything is available to a son. Health, healing, provision, protection. Everything that your life has been looking for, everything in your heart that you have been wanting is found in your relationship with God. And He has done everything to bring us back to that. He built the bridge and it just, it just blows my mind that we look at the bridge and think, oh, well, what we're supposed to do is mop that bridge so that we can get back across. No, your job, if we can say that you have a part to play in this, you know what your part is? Yeah, that's it. Just walk across it. I mean, isn't it amazing how complicated we make everything? Well, that's a good bridge right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own. You can't. You can't quit struggling with all of this, trying to be a good Christian and just receive what God has done for you. There is nothing that you can do besides receiving His Son by walking across that bridge. There is nothing else in this entire lifetime that you can do to pay that back or to earn it. Nothing at all. Just say, huh, wow, there's a bridge, and it leads right to where I want to go. How about I just take this noble venture... And walk across it. There's no toll. There's no nothing. I am so saddened to see people all the time that claim to have received the grace that is afforded to us through the death of God's only begotten Son. And then the first thing we start doing is trying to pay it back by being good. You can't. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to live a holy life and live a good life. But the only way that you will be able to do that is by accepting the fact that you can do nothing. That's what frees us up. See, we claim to have received grace, and then we go back to following the law. Thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that, and thou shalt do this, and thou shalt not do that. It's not the way it works anymore, guys. It's really not. Your job is to receive what God has offered you because you have nothing to offer Him. We don't worship so that He will like us. We worship based on what He did for us. 
and the realization of that. You're here. I hope that regardless of why you came today, that why you come next week or why you log on next week to watch is as a result of your realization of just how much he actually did for you. And we're just supposed to rest. Rest in what He has called us to do. To rest in His protection. To rest knowing that He is now our Daddy. And He wants to give us good things. He said, Jesus Himself said, I mean, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven take care of you? And yet, a lot of supposed Christians aren't basically reaping the benefits out of that because what they're doing is they're trying to build their own bridge modeled after the perfect bridge. It can't happen. Just thank God and walk across it and develop your relationship with God. Why do you think Jesus himself said, Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. But we don't do that. What we do is we like try to find a method in the Bible so that we can go do something so that we can get what we want. Huh. <laughs> Got it all backwards. You'll never reach there. It's the carrot in front of the donkey. That's the devil putting it right out there in front of you. No matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you strive, no matter how far you get, it'll always be this far away. And the only thing you'll get is tired, worn out, and disgusted. You're seeing people over here that are just like, huh, you mean all I got to do is just receive his grace? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Huh, cool. How about I try that? Just relax, people. Relax. When Jesus died on the cross, he says, it is finished. He fulfilled all of those requirements that we used to have to do. He finished them. We are the righteousness of God. We are in right standing with God because of his son, not because of what you do. Your job is to receive it and to be thankful for it. And you will be thankful for it when you realize exactly how much that is. It's not nothing that you're going to, let me see if I can try to be very, very thankful today. No, it's a fruit. Thankfulness is something that's going to happen naturally when you truly realize exactly what God has done for you. What Jesus accomplished on the cross for you. He did everything. And our job is to receive it and just to relax in it. Now, there are gonna, we're going to talk later on in a couple of weeks and everything about the things that we do. But the things that we do are a result of that relationship. It's not something that we, well, I guess I better go do this because the Bible tells me to. It's not effort on our part. It's a result of what Jesus already did. Just walk across. Receive the gift. Have faith that God did it for you. Because you can't. You can't. And if you can't do it, quit trying. And try something that you've never tried before. Relax and receive. And see if your lives aren't changed by it. Let's go to Dad in prayer. Dad, we just... Man, I, I, I just want to say thank you for everything that you did. We'll probably never realize exactly the extent of everything that you have done for us, everything that you want for us. Time and time again, you've tried to tell us, Dad, that you, know, that you have a plan for us, but that plan isn't something that we're going to do. It's a, it's a plan for us to grow close to you as a result of what you did. Your plan for us is just to be, be your kid and you to be our father. And, Dad, I, just, I, I, I want that for these people here. Some of them have been struggling to build their own bridge. And, and I mean, they, they, they've been measuring and, and quantifying and doing all of this stuff to make, make their bridge look just like yours, but it'll never work. Have them to throw down that saw and that hammer and just say, I'm done. And just walk across and be with you. So you'll be their God and they'll be your kid. Dad, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to ask you today. And that's what I want from all these people is just for you to be, you to be their dad and them to realize that their, their sonship, their daughtership 
They are the heir apparent. If they'll just walk across that bridge, no longer being enemies of yours, but being a son or a daughter, everything that we desire, everything that will fulfill our lives isn't found in anything that we do with our hands or our mouth. It's only in a relationship with you of being your kid. Dad, I just hope that people have realized that today, and I hope they receive that gift and walk across. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.